to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we have another great episode for you here tonight. I want to thank all the listeners for uh, coming back and tuning into the podcast. Your reviews and your support, the sharing on social media is just awesome, guys. We love you, and thanks for doing that. We really appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate it if you continue to do that. We're trying to grow here in 2020, and uh, you guys are the way we do it. So thank you so much. Now, Nick Nation from the Habitat Hook is on the line tonight, guys. This is an awesome episode. We took a bunch of listener questions from uh, Facebook and Instagram. We took Nick and his past, you know, 10 years of hinge cutting, along with his hunting season, and made a podcast and talked about all of it. Now, I'd urge you to go back and listen to a couple of our older episodes, number 18 with Nick. We did that uh, before, and we talked a little bit about the hooks then, but at least you can get an idea on some of the stuff that, you know, maybe more 101 style hinge cutting, where this episode is going to be more of a 201 or a more advanced strategy type. Also, um... A good hinge cutting one-on-one episode we did was number 34, Habitat Podcast 34 with Dr. Jim Browker. That was another awesome uh, hinge cutting episode we did with Dr. Jim. So if you have some time and you want to go back and listen to those, those would be two other great podcasts to listen to about hinge cutting. It's that time of year, guys. Uh, the hooks are flying off the shelf over there at Nation's Creation, so we wanted to get him on here and talk. And it is a great podcast episode. I'd like to let you guys all know that we actually added some new gear to the website. We took a survey from our listeners and found out you guys want some hoodies and some long sleeve shirts. So we got those up on the website. You can get those at HabitatPodcast.com. We really appreciate you guys supporting us there. Um, just click on the website and you can see you know, the new shirts. They look pretty sweet. So I hope you guys like them. And uh, they're up there with our, you know, our hats and decals and everything else we have up there. Uh, along with all of our podcast episodes, uh, if you were not aware. That's HabitatPodcast.com. Now, this episode is brought to you by none other than uh, the Habitat Hook. As I'm, you know, I'm sure you're also surprised. This is a great tool for TSI and hinge cutting. Now, we talk about all the different types of hooks on this episode. Some of you go into it right now, but... There's a bunch of different versions for the, you know, to, to fit your need. These can be purchased at nationscreations.net, guys. Let them know that uh, the Habitat Podcast sent you, and uh, get yourself a hook here uh, this winter. I'd like to also let you guys know that uh, myself and actually a lot of our, our partners are going to all be at the Hunting Time Expo in Grand Rapids later this month. Um, I'm going to be there the 24th, which is a Friday. Now, I know uh, I'll be in the Michigan Whitetail Pursuit booth for some of it. Those guys are going to be there. Check out the new DVD that came out this year, Season 10. There's also uh, Killer Food Plots is going to be there. If you want to bug Nick and have him answer some questions on anything food plot related, that's a great time to see him. Uh, Dale from 5-2 Outdoors is going to be there. Be sure to swing in and see Dale. Uh, you know, his blinds and call the Packers. And also Lincoln Roan from Packer Max. So it's going to be great to come see all these guys and uh, – you know, come ask about the podcast, what kind of discounts they're offering for podcast listeners. Well, come say hi. It'd be great to see you all and, uh, you know, talk Habitat. That's what we like to do. So, again, that's uh, the Hunt Time Expo, January 24th, here about two weeks from now. 
All right, everybody, let's get Nick Nation with the Habitat Hook on the line. Thank you all for uh, tuning in. Here we go. Welcome back, everybody. We have Nick Nation from Nation's Creations on the line. How are you doing tonight, Nick? Great, man. Doing good. Good. Glad you could make it on. And Brian's on the line as well. What's going on, B? Same old. How's it going? Same old. All right. Well, it's Habitat season now, boys. Um, Nick, I'm glad you could jump on tonight. We uh, have a pretty fun conversation ahead of us, I think. I know the last podcast you did with us was was a hit, and I was through it a few times. A lot to learn with this hinge cutting and TSI stuff. So I hope you're ready, buddy. Yeah, yeah. How long has it been? Has it been a year? You know what? I'm not exactly sure how long it's been. I could tell you real quick. Um, while I looked that up, uh, how'd your deer season go, man? Went pretty darn good. I uh, harvested my first mature Michigan whitetail off my home 10 acres, so that was a, a big confidence booster for all the work I've done. That a boy. Um, been working on this small little home property for the last uh, almost seven years now, and I've, I've had a, a chance in the, every year for the last three years, and this year I finally connected, so... Um, it was about 130-inch, 11-point. So <laughs> I was pretty stoked about that. Oh, man. That's in 10 acres, right? Off 10 acres. 10 acres is all I got. My house resides in the center. Um, I have small parcel properties surrounding it that get um, heavy hunting pressure, um, more so in gun season, but I it also uh, they get bow hunted a little bit. But... Uh, as long as I get it done before the 15th, um, it works out pretty good. Yeah, that's that's funny you say that. Brian and I had that conversation uh, when I was down there hunting with him this weekend. My property's kind of the same way. Um, and maybe that's, you know, a lot of our listeners, once gun season rolls in, I think things really change. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and it's really cool that you were able to put down a real nice 11 point. I know the previous podcast we did with you was uh, – September of 2018, so over a year now, and if anybody hasn't heard that yet, it's number 18, be sure to go back and check that out as we talk more about Nick's property and, you know, what he's been doing. And like you said, you had, what, chances at Mature Bucks the last three years, you said? Yep, I, uh, I missed about a, a really close to 130-inch 10-point um, three years ago. Um, this, I hit a twig. Everything else was good. He was chasing a doe, and hit a twig and then last year um i almost uh, I, I didn't shoot at I, I was very very close to a um pretty good eight point that i had for seven days straight on my property but just trying to get in the right spot and get him when he's on his feet moving during the day was uh tough but he was on my cameras for yeah, at least seven days straight and wow. i just i just couldn't get it done <laughs> But uh, I was close, so I count that as a pretty close. You know, he went past all my tree stands multiple times during the day. As just, I was either at work or had other stuff going on. So and then this year I seen this one that I got um, the night before, and once when I was hunting from one stand, and I made a move to another stand and um, got him to come in and give me a simple twenty-yard shot. That's awesome. That's. Uh... That's what we like to say. That's what dreams are made of right there, man, on your own <laughs> 10 acres you've been working on. And, God, uh, that's just, that's awesome. I wish uh, 
I wish I had the same story for you, but not this year. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I uh, I want you to and people. I mean, we we talked about it on on the last one, but I want to hear a little bit about you know who you are, your company, and and what you guys do over there, and uh, just to refresh people's memories before we get into the dirty details. Yeah, sure. So um, my business name is Nations Creations. I kept that as a uh, kind of a broad name to cover other products that I might come up with over the years, but um, right now, the the main um, product has been the habitat hook, and I came up with that about, uh, it's been right around nine, eight, nine years ago now I started making them. And uh, I got into hinge cutting shortly before that, and I needed a, I wanted to come up with a tool to make it a little bit easier. So I came up with a, a pretty simple design at first, and uh, it was an extendable um, hook, and I cut out some teeth and it worked really well and over the years it's refined been refined uh several different models and variations and um the the market base or the market for it grew and I developed a website and then you know it just became a legitimate LLC business and it's just kind of grown from there into what it is today and I send them all over the Midwest um even out I've sent in the last year I sent out to California and um along the west coast so it's it's really reaching out there wow california interesting yeah i don't think of much trees or woods in california but i guess in the northern part there's some (laughs) yeah yeah for sure and it's just uh the view on hinge cutting i would think would be vastly different but hey you never know i guarantee there's some deer hunter out there somewhere doing what we do so that's pretty cool yep so let's let's talk about what different hooks you offer before we uh, move on. I know Brian and I are both rocking the aluminum extendable, which is honestly one badass piece of equipment. Um, but let's, let's start from the beginning and, and go through your different models. Sure. So um, I have a fixed length one, which is like the base bottom of the bottom model. Um, it's a it's lightweight because it's fixed. It doesn't have the six foot extension in the inside. Uh, they're just under seven feet long. They work great for doing smaller trees. Um, if you're working with the smaller stuff, you don't need the extended length for the leverage. So there's that, and then there's jumps up into the one of the extendable versions, which is a um, it's a uh, pot rolled steel, so it's not as strong. I offer a a standard strength model and a heavy duty strength model. The heavy duty one is a slight up charge for it. It's a stronger um, material. The mechanical properties of it are a lot stronger. It's used same material that they use in uh, roll cages, just on a larger scale for uh, rock crawlers and stuff like that. So it's a it's a cold drawn material, which makes it a lot stronger. So you have a extendable length in the um, both a standard and heavy duty. And those both extend up to um, just under 13 feet. So those will give you the, um, the tremendous amount of leverage, whether you're pushing or pulling against the tree. I prefer to push um, with that six-foot extension in the inside. So when they're fully collapsed, they're seven-foot long. Uh, they fit in the back of a pickup truck, no problems. Put them in diagonal if you have a short bed crew. Uh, and then they, there's a middle position that they go up to 10 foot, and then they'll extend further out to almost 13 for, you know, again, giving you that really that 
the leverage that you need to keep that cambium layer intact for the um, around your hinge. And then you jump into the aluminum models, which I also offer a fixed length in those, um, which are super lightweight. They only weigh five pounds, um, but again, works great for smaller trees. And then the extendable aluminum one that has a six foot extension in it to get you up there about, uh, those would get you just about 12 foot or so. So, and those are um, about eight pounds. The heavy duty ones are just over 10, but that extra two pound difference makes a huge difference when you're using the aluminum versus the heavy duty steel ones because that two pounds is when you got that leverage out there on the end, you're trying to maneuver the end of the hook around. That uh, makes a big difference in feel. So there's like seven different models there, and you can go to the website, nationscreations.net, and uh, check them out. Awesome, man. And um, what exactly – these are all powder-coated, right? Yep. Awesome. Yep, all powder-coated. The, the aluminum ones have uh, stainless steel teeth bolted onto them, and the uh, steel ones have our, the teeth are welded on. And they all have rubber grips, ATV grips, except for the fixed-length standard models. Well, it sounds like you got a model for everybody, no matter what application they have. So, yeah, yeah, different variations, and you know, this it's kind of grown over the years from two models up to where I'm at now. Excellent. Well, before we dive too deep into this, Nick, let's uh, give a quick description of what hinge cutting is and why we do it for some of our listeners that maybe might be new or maybe haven't heard the term before. Sure, I get a lot of that, a lot of those questions. So hinge cutting, um, you're essentially cutting um, roughly half to two-thirds of the way through a tree um, with a saw, and you're doing this um, below. Usually it's right around um, chest level and below, uh, depending on what you're doing. So you're cutting, creating that hinge in the tree, and you're going to use the hooks or people use wedges on the larger trees and you're felling that tree um, to a horizontal position to provide uh, horizontal cover. Um, it provides browse for the deer, allows sunlight down to the ground by removing the canopy. You can create screening with it, um, access and travel corridors. So it depends a lot of the how how low you cut the tree, um, the direction you fell them, um, stuff like that as to which would dictate what it will be used for. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good explanation of it. I know a lot of people will send us messages on social media and, and different things and ask us, you know, what is it, why do you do it, and uh, hopefully that gave everybody a, a quick overview of it. Yep, it's not a it, you know it's not a conventional tree felling method. It's not recognized as obviously as an OSHA you know standard as a way of felling a tree because your intent is to um, lay that tree down and have it continue to survive and grow um, as long as you it gets the proper amount of sunlight and it doesn't break off at the the hinge. That tree will continue to grow and it'll continue to provide browse and cover and just increase in that. Um, as the years go on, and and then once you get through that tree with with your cut, that's where your hook comes into play, right? Yep, that's where you use the hook. Um, 
lot of times I, I prefer to use the push point. I'll push the push point right in the tree and put the grips or the handle um, right into my shoulder and put my hands behind it and just lean into it and push real hard and um, carry that tree over. And that by you having that extra leverage, if you can get up there 13 foot or 12 foot up the tree, plus your height at a 45-degree angle, you're going to um, be able to put as much leverage and force into that tree to carry it over as possible and still keep that um, cambium layer intact at the hinge. Yeah, so what that does, guys, uh, it keeps the tree from breaking off. So if you don't have to cut through the tree as far, you, know, you, you make your cut, say, three-quarters of the way the tree tips over and falls. If you make your cut maybe two-thirds of the way or halfway, you can use the hook to push the tree over. And without the hook, the tree would still stay standing. But with that hook, you can get that over, and a lot more of that, like you said, like that layer stays intact, keeping that tree alive. Correct. Now, if anybody wants to know more about the different types of hinge cuts in, in terms of different heights, and, and we did a hinge cutting one-on-one episode with uh, Dr. Jim Browker from Extreme Deer Habitat as well. That is uh, episode 34 for anybody who wants to refer back to that. So, this, you know, now we're just talking about Nick's hooks and kind of maybe hinge cutting 102 here tonight. So just want to get that out there for everybody. Now, Nick, have you been in the woods working since deer season? I mean, it's the 7th of January. It hasn't been closed very long. Have you already been to work? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what you been yeah. up to? I was out there doing some uh, – I wasn't doing too much hinge cutting work yet. I got an area on, the, on my home 10 acres here that – um, I was successful in shooting the one deer this year, and it, I built a spot um, last year with that goal, and I wasn't able to get it done this year, so I did it this year. So now I'm working on another spot at the opposite corner of the property to see if I can do the same thing. So I had the tractor out there and clearing an area and setting up a stand location to see if I can repeat it again next year. Okay. Um, what exactly are you are you doing? What's the secret here? Um. I'm I'm taking a real thick area. Um, it's actually right behind the neighbor's house. Um, it's literally will be about 80 feet from his back door. And there's a bunch of, um, it's on a slight rise, a little bit of a hill. And uh, the deer will come up there occasionally, but they don't um, filter through it like for a purpose. So I cleared out a small area to create a small little kill plot. I'm going to put some buck forage oats in there. We had really, really good success with um, a planning of that this year at another property. Um, so I'm going to kind of duplicate some of the stuff that um, I observed off that um, location at another property. Um, I'm creating some, putting some uh, switchgrass as my perimeter uh, to screen it. Uh, in a couple of years, it'll grow up. Outside of that, I'm going to hinge cut some of the trees that I have available just to kind of create that immediate screen. Um, and also create a um, specific path of travel for the deer. So there's a couple directions I want them to be able to navigate through and only those areas. So the hinge cuts will uh, kind of create a little bit of a um, border or screen um, and force the deer into a location where I want them to go. So kind of what I'm working on, um, ran the tractor for a couple hours is with the grapple bucket, clearing up a bunch of stuff, and then the bush hog, um, clearing up the small stuff. And then I'm going to uh, 
um, cut in an access trail off the property line so I can walk straight down and jump into the stand without actually walking through the center of the property. Perfect, perfect. I love that access plan. Uh, so you're going to have micro plot, switchgrass, 360 degrees around the plot? Um, It'll be about 180. Okay. It's mainly on the neighbor's side and on a neighboring parcel. And uh, okay, it'll so my movement walking in gotcha. and also screen any of the neighbor's movement if they come out. Perfect. And then, of course, your your hinge cuts for direction and steering for the deer and then your access as well. So, yeah. awesome, man. I like yeah. it. Yeah, you know, hinge cutting is just a tool. A lot of, many, a lot of people have said before, but kind of like to um, emphasize that where the hinge cutting is, you know, it's not a end-all thing. It's not you know, you don't want to go out in your woods and hinge cut every tree you got and make a big mess. It's it's a tool just like food plots and anything else. So you want to be a smart about it and, you know, think before you, you, you cut. I think, uh, like Jim says, plan before you plunge or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Good uh, disclaimer, if you will. I mean, all of these things we talk about, it's never one thing works all the time. And honestly, a combination of TSI uh, and hinge cutting is, is is more preferable. You know, some of those bigger trees, we like to knock those down first, just fell them. You know, yeah. we're not hinge cutting those. And then, yeah. uh, you know, hinge cut some of the smaller, um, less valuable surrounding trees. So, guys, it's not, you know, go out there, like Nick said, hinge cut your whole woods. It's not log your whole woods. It, you know, it's, it, there's a way to do it, and there's plans depending on your goals and your property. So... That's a good point, Nick. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to mention that. Um, Nick, we uh, decided to get some of the listeners involved. Um, we posted some questions on our Facebook and our Instagram, and um, got quite a few questions here. I just thought we might shoot a couple at you and get your opinion and your answers on it. Yeah, definitely. I, I got. A lot. I've always got an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not always right, but I can usually put things together that, you know, I'm pretty close. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Uh, first one's from Jordan Prevo. hope I said that last name right. What would be the best hook option to get? And what would be the best option for someone that would maybe use it, 50, use it on 50 trees over the next two to three years? Okay. So the 50 trees isn't much. Um, I mean, you can – if you only got 50 trees, you got either a really small area to work with or just not very many trees in general. But if they're – anyone I tell, so there's the standard duty hook or the, um, the fixed length model. Um, those are, work really good for trees up to about a 5-inch base diameter. So when I say 5-inch base, I'm talking about 5-inch base at the ground. Um, the fixed length hook, you can really – um, that 7-foot that leverage plus your height is going to give you enough to um, get those trees to you know, pull them or push them where you want them. When you get bigger than that, then you're going to be looking at it in one of the extendable hooks. And like I said before, there's the, the steel extendable versions, and then there's the aluminum version. The aluminum one's lighter if you're going to be using um, it quite a bit or you just um, – would like that lighter feel because it's a lot easier to maneuver around. It's also square tube, so the indexing's um, sliding the extension in and out. Uh, you don't have any rotation with the steel one like you do with the steel ones that are round. So the aluminum one's square and it 
slides in and out really easy, and this, you don't even have to look at the indexing button to pop it in. Um, so it it's kind of depends on personal preference there. Smaller trees, fixed length. Larger trees, one of the extendable versions. All right. Good work there. Let's uh, move on to another question. Jordan, thanks for your question there, bud. Uh, next one, let's go with uh, Adam Kraus. What type of trees have you had the most success in survival after hinge cutting? Um, usually it's your soft mass trees. So cottonwood and box elder, I would say, are at the top of my list as far as success. I have some cottonwoods around here. And when I say cottonwoods, obviously we're, talk we're always going to be talking about the smaller trees. Um, a lot of the ones around the property here that I they right around where I shot my buck this year, um, they're right around a, uh, about a 10-inch diameter or so, so they're getting up there in size. But um, when I cut the hinge and I push them over, the, the hinge stays together very well. And then the growth the following year, depending where you cut them, I prefer to cut in the um, early spring or before green up because they get the most vigorous growth that first year. But... Um, I have some at three years and some at four years. The ones at four years are, you know, the tops of the my hinge, like the new growth is beyond 30 foot tall after four years. So Holy cow. they respond very, very well. They're at the point where um, I'm probably going to start hinge cutting some of the, the sucker shoots that came up again uh, this year. Um, the next ones I would uh, say is a cherry. Um, usually it has excellent growth, growth afterward. Uh, they usually hinge pretty well uh, when it's not real cold. But uh, and also, uh, people don't like to hear this because sometimes they're a money tree, but um, those oaks from the white oak family, um, swamp white oak, white oak, fir oak, uh, those hinge very, very well. And I've also had great luck with smaller walnut trees. So <laughs> Really? Wow. Yeah, the, uh, the walnuts hinge pretty good, and they actually grow very fast. Well, shoot, Nick, I got a bunch of freaking bur oak. I have, uh, to be exact, about 105 of them. So if I can't, <laughs> if I can't get a logger out there to, to log uh, my backwoods or slot cut, I'm going to call you because these, uh, <laughs> these things are big and I need some open canopy bad. Um, but no, that, that, that's, a, that's a good explanation. I know, you know people don't always want to talk about hinge and oaks, but... I've seen it done plenty of times, and uh, I know Dr. Jim talks about it too. Are there are there any that you would avoid cutting and not even mess um, with? Yes, I mean, as far as from a hinge cutting standpoint, um, hickory, uh, red oak, um, those other trees like that, they're like a straight grain. Um, ash doesn't usually hinge very well. You know, the harder, usually the harder wood trees. Uh, hard maple don't hinge very well. They like the barber chair, and so the, all those other trees I just mentioned. Uh, the best thing what to do with a lot of those, unless they're really small, you know, like the four or five inch diameter or so, um, is just do a conventional cut. You you cut your um, your your face cut in there and your wedge, and just do a conventional cut. Lay it down. You can either buck it up in the firewood, drag it out with a tractor log it, whatever, stuff like that. But that stuff, I just don't recommend trying to hinge cut. And for people that don't know, what exactly happens or what's a barber share? Well, it's when that tree splits upward and then the top portion slides back towards you. And then if you're 
and uh, close, standing close to that tree, it cannot be good sometimes. <laughs> no, so it's come up so way hard. Or the hook, the hook helps get you away from that, puts you back further. But uh, again, I just I don't recommend hinging those types of trees, just because they they rarely ever hinge very well. I've had good luck with um, smaller, the smaller hard maples um, when you can control them a little bit better and make and pull them down real slow. Mm-hmm. The larger ones, just I've had results with yeah and sometimes dropping those larger trees first those ones that you're not going to hinge that can even give you something to land these smaller hinge cuts on right because i know i've dropped a few uh trees that i hinge cut this past year and i hinge cut them and then they settled you know what i mean they after a year they're a lot lower than where i left them so sometimes it's nice to drop that bigger uh tree in there that just fell it and then just lay your hinges on top of that do you ever do that oh yeah yep and sometimes some of the bigger trees will um will purposely try to drop on some of them smaller trees and they'll act as a cushion or a spring and sometimes you can get them to stay together then oh. um the the maples they the deer love the maple leaves the new little maple leaves so anything that you cut low enough at a deer's level um they're going to come in and browse quite heavily so that's one good thing about the maples. Same thing with oaks. I usually prefer those white oaks. Um, they'll nibble on those quite a bit. So you, you mentioned about the settling. Um, so that brings up a point. They, uh, I do a lot of my, as far as height, I do a lot of my hinge cuts at a, a chest level. And the idea behind that is because I want the deer to be able to go under a lot of them and not feel like they're constricted if they're lower at that knee level. Um, the caveat to that is if you have those hinges at chest high and higher, the deer can't um, browse the new growth, which is true. So it's a give and take. You know, it, it, I have hoop plots and I have a lot of other hinge cuts where I got new regen going that they can um, feed on, whereas I don't have to necessarily rely on um, my other higher hinge cuts to provide the sole food source. Okay, that's a good point. They settle, all those hinge cuts settle usually within, after green up in the first year of snow, I usually notice about a foot of settling. Yeah, yeah, mine were um, made for a barricade anyways, so it wasn't an issue, but it was a learning experience for sure. And yeah. uh, they settled uh, at least a foot, maybe maybe more on, on some of them. So. Now, speaking of oaks, uh, Steve, Adam Mouse. Adam Mouski had a question. Um, will oaks still produce acorns if you hinge them? So my original thought to that was absolutely they would because you're you're laying the tree down, but any of the new growth, it's just like the uh, some of the other um, trees that first year and also subsequent years they want to they put a lot of energy into growing new. Uh, new shoots and new wood, new foliage and whatnot. So my assumption was that, yes, they would definitely produce. So I've seen that link there where um, someone on the Michigan Sportsman's Forum had um, hinge cut a uh, white oak tree variety and had excellent uh, crop of acorns from those trees that they hinge cut. So to answer that, yes, <laughs> they do They do produce uh, acorns quite well after hinge cutting. Awesome. Great. No, that's um 
I, I wasn't sure how to answer that at first either. I I figured uh, why wouldn't they, but maybe maybe they wouldn't for a year or two. But uh, it seems the guys who have tried it and done it um, have no problem seeing the, you know some mass on those trees after they're hinged. So I'm gonna check that out and try that myself. It actually sounds like a a good idea. If I have a bunch of acorns at a you know deer's level, that could be. Uh, yeah. A nice little yeah, flat. I mean, yeah, they're you know, especially the the white oak variety. There, you know, they got the acorns to to eat, and then they got the leaves to browse on a new stem. So, I mean, I would that along with the you know, the red maples, man, they love those red maples. <laughs> next next question is coming from Facebook from Josh Hagel. He wants to know when a person has an area full of tall trees but they're still good size to hinge cut. How does a person get started safely? With no opening to start dropping trees, all the spots like this I've started have gotten hung up and are not safe. Do you fall some in a line just to get going, or how do you do this safely? Yep, I completely agree with him. That's, that's one of the uh, – I've done this many of times where you go into a new area and you there's trees everywhere. There's nothing you can do to uh, open out, but except that. You try to um, open up an area, and you might not – it might – on the one side that you're trying to drop those trees and the area that you're trying to open up, it's going to probably be almost a barricade. It's going to be a screen that's going to be impenetrable because you're going to have to drop so many trees in one area to get that um, canopy open to be able to um, drop other ones. Uh, what I typically will do is I will pick out a larger tree and then drop one of the larger trees onto some of the smaller trees and just create that hole in the canopy. Um, at that point, I'm not trying to get them hinge cut. I'm just trying to um, do a conventional cut, get that canopy open, get a hole up there so I can start bringing down the other trees um, using hinge cuts. So now he's, on, he's got on the right track, got the right idea. It's getting that hole up there is tough. Yeah, I mean, you don't want a bunch of trees halfway kept over, stuck in the tree, and then yeah. you know don't want to walk in there or whatever. Um, yeah. Now, our, one of our listeners and friend, Ryan Timoney, posted a video the other day with him and Randy Vanderveen up cutting on his property, and uh, he did something what was, they called it a daisy chain. I'm not sure I hadn't heard that term before, but it looked oh, like yeah. they, fell, they felled a big tree into a bunch of smaller trees that were already Maybe halfway cut. Yep, I did. Um, so I've done work? a couple of these. I did a. If you when you get a chance, you look at my Facebook page back a few years back. Um, I have a video on there. We were doing some state land work, and um, we did this. I probably did I don't know twenty twenty five trees at one time, and it just creates a domino effect where you went through and we cut the hinge in a bunch of uh, trees, and then we got back to the line and we cut the last one and fell that um, last large one into the uh, ones that had already been cut, and it just kind of the domino effect daisy chain continued wow. on all the weight of those other trees, and it opened up a hole in the sky immediately. So you, you put like a halfway cut or maybe two-thirds of the way to where the smaller trees were still standing, and then you fell the last one into all those, right? Yep, yep. Interesting. That's a good idea. I've never tried that. Yep, it's a quick, easy way because you're using the energy from the other trees to push on the other. You know, we're trying to push from ground level where you got a tree up top that's 40, 50, 60 foot high pushing on it. You know how, like, when you're trying to hinge a tree, 
and you got a little twig holding the tree at the top. Yeah. You're giving everything you got to try to push it over, and this one little vine or something's holding it at the top. You can't get it to come down. So same effect. You know, they got so much um, leverage from up at the top pushing on that it'll you know, pretty much wipe anything out that you've got cut a hinge in. Oh, yeah, I've had that happen. And ended up I just cut the the hinge a little bit more on some of those bigger ones that get hung up, and that helps it fall, too. So, if, I mean, sometimes I had this one that was so hung up by the edge of my, my road because of all the different branches you get from the sunlight there, and I just cut the tree a little more, and it actually helped it fall over versus pushing harder and harder, which I wasn't getting anywhere. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I got a question here from Luke Terry. Um, what percentage of hinge cuts require the use of the hook? I know every stand is different, and placement will vary based on the objective. I've hinged for a lot, and nearly every tree falls to the desired spot or can be pushed by hand. Just wondering in case I were to purchase one. So it looks like Luke uh, is having a good time without one right now, and just, uh, you know, what percentage of hinge cuts require the use? It depends. I mean, I don't use it for the small trees. You know, the ones that are the size of my arm, you can, you know, zip them with your, with my, like, I use a silky saw, but a um, couple strokes of that, and I can pull them over by hand when they're smaller. But it's those larger diameter trees, and it's not so much of trying to get them to fall exactly where I want as it is to um, cut less of the tree so I can don't have to cut as much of that um, through that cambium layer of the tree. So when it does come over, it's got more material there in the tree to pass the nutrients through and has a higher survival rate. So the, um, I use it for everything. Anything that's larger than my arm, I'm using my hooks for. So unless you're doing conventional cutting where you're just doing your back cut and stuff like that um, and just cutting them, tipping them over, then... Anything outside of that, I'm doing a regular hinge cut. I'm using the hooks for, so higher percentage. All right, Ty Johnson from Facebook wants to know, what about mineral stumping? I heard about this on Deer University podcast. When would you recommend mineral stumping versus hinge cut? So I had to look and see what mineral stumping was because I wasn't sure what it is. We can't use minerals here um, in the state of Michigan anymore. So I'm not sure what exactly that is other than you're, you're using minerals to – or pouring minerals on it to eat away the stump. Do you guys? Do you yeah, guys I, I got you on this one. Um, mineral stumping or what has been dubbed a mineral stump over the last couple of years by the guys at uh, Mississippi State University, what they're doing is they're talking about just um, cutting the tree clean off at the stump and then – what happens is the full root system of the tree is still in the ground, and like you said earlier, puts all that energy into making new growth. And all the shoots that come up out of that stump are filled with, you know, 5, awesome. 10, 20 times the minerals that would be in a normal leaf or, or woody browse based on the fact that there's that huge root system pushing into just a little bit of growth. So that's what they're calling a mineral stump, and I, what Ty's asking um, what would you recommend that versus hinge cut? Ty, I would recommend you do both. Um, we're hinge cutting here for some brows and some cover and uh, even blockading. But at the same time, to have uh, some lower cut stumps, flush cut stumps, 
when shoots shooting up, that's not going to hurt a darn thing. I mean, I would I would definitely have those along with the hinge cutting, like we said earlier. It's more of a tool you can combine with some other stuff like your mineral stumps and your flush cuts. Does that make yeah, sense? Because, oh, yeah, a lot of those, um, when, when we do those conventional cuts, you cut them, you're cutting them lower at the ground. The um, Especially the maples, they'll still have great growth. They're, you know, they're not dead. They've still got a root system there that they're trying to provide to, and there's going to have be all those new leaves come up. So minus, of course, the mineral part, but you still have all that new growth at ground level that's going to be coming up that they're going to browse on. So. Yes, actually, it kind of makes me think of another question. Um, are you always hinging at the same different levels, like one maybe knee height for a blockade, one maybe chest height, or, or one maybe head height for overhead canopy? Or are you kind of throwing them at different levels so some the deer could browse on, some the deer can't? Is that even a, a thought in your head when you're going through, or are you very oh, yeah. systematic? Yep, okay. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not cutting at the same height. I'm, I'm like doing a staggering effect. Um, when I'm doing screens, it depends on how wide the screen is. Um, my screens are, uh, you can say, parallel to the direction of travel, whether it's an access trail or the, a, a property border, or I don't want the deer going through a certain way. The, the hinges or the, the trees being fell down are um, parallel to the direction of travel. And with that, I can... Um, at the local, say, say I'm walking down a, a fence row or something. And at my location, I'm going to be cutting low and then work my way up as far as height further into the property. So as I get further into the property in this screen, I'm, the deer are going to be able to get underneath of it along that edge a little bit. Um, so in the bedding areas, I'm going to be cutting at different heights. I'm going to be staggering it. I'm tipping. And my bedding locations, I'm tipping a majority of my trees outward where the deer are bedding in the center. Um, as I'm getting closer towards the center of the bed, the, the hinges are going to be up higher, whereas they're out further towards the outside edge of the bed, they're lower to give that side cover and then also the browse. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Just run that, run that through one more time from the outside of your property in uh, real quick for me. All right. So... Say you're, you're, you've got a trail that, you've got an access trail or property board that runs north and south. Um, and with, with relatively close to your path of travel, the hinges are going to be fairly low, right at ground level to knee level. Um, the goal there is I want to create a screen or border that I don't want anything going through. And as I work my way into the property a few feet, you know, I step in 10 feet closer inside my property. I'll hinge a little bit higher. I go another 10 feet, I hinge a little bit higher. So I'm creating a, um, a, a oh, as, as I further you get into the property, the higher I'm cutting my uh, screen or, or hinges for my screen. Interesting. Okay, yeah, that's a new one for me. I haven't heard that. That's, uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, you kind of create a wall. You're, you're you know, starting from a ground level where you don't want them traveling to a higher level further in. So you, you're not you kind you, you're kind of restricting movement and you're restricting visual sight or line of sight, but yet you're not taking up more of your property because all uh, your trees are so low and navigable. <laughs> yeah, I got you. And then when you're getting towards your your bed, 
or the, the bedding area, you're felling them or hinging them away from the bed. Is that right? Yeah. So I was, like another example would be um, separate from the screen. Say I'm working on a bedding location or a bedding pocket. Um, I'm going to be focused on tipping them trees outward from my bed. So if I'm standing in the center of a bed and I'm looking around, the trees are going to be tipped outward. And at the location I'm standing in the center of the bed, I'm going to be cutting my trees a little bit higher. Whereas you walk out a few feet towards the, the perimeter edge, the trees are going to be a little bit lower because they're given that um, the side cover effect, yep. um, preventing them from seeing out, but yet they can still tuck underneath the edges and browse and whatever. And has that been working for you? Do you guys do you have deer bedding just like you need them to? Not all the time. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes we'll uh, build these extravagant beds and they look all pretty and the deer will bed on the wrong side of them. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not an exact science by no means. For sure. But the, the what it does do is you're removing that canopy in a pocket and you're giving immediate side cover through the hinge cuts. You've opened the canopy, so you have all this new growth that's coming up in there that's automatically going to make it thicker, and it's going to provide browse, so the deer are going to want to prefer to bed in that location. That is the idea. Okay. Now, while we're on this topic, we have another one on Facebook from Josh Shipman. Hinge cuts or flush cut for edge feathering? And what's the difference in having a canopy shade 40 to 80 foot up then six to ten foot up after hinge cutting. So with the um, edge feathering, which I've done a decent amount of, I've done both. I've done the, the flush cuts and the hinge cuts along the same edge. Um, it's more or less uh, specific to the type of tree that I'm trying to hinge. You know, uh, some of the ones I've done were popple trees and hard maple. We just cut those off one fall along the edge and the new new shoots along the, the base of that tree would come up. Whereas some of the, uh, along the same edge, we had a mix of cottonwoods and other maple trees that we were able to hinge over that were smaller, and we hinged those. So it, it was kind of a, a a mixture of both those along that those few property parcels I've done. Um, as far as the canopy, the uh, if you think about it, you know, if you have your canopy way up high, you know, 60 foot high, you, there's no um, brows on the underneath. The, the sun can't get down. There, there's usually no cover for the deer, which deer are not going to prefer. By removing those larger trees, um, you're bringing, you're allowing the sunlight to get in, so it's going to regenerate all the new seedlings and all the all the new growth there. And you're going so you're going to provide food and cover. Two things the deer deer absolutely have to have. So you're going to automatically um, increase your preference of deer in those locations. Very nice. I'll segue in off of that. Uh, Al James on Facebook. That's our friend Al. Everybody's heard him a couple times here on the podcast. Uh, would you say hinge cuts are more beneficial for food, bedding, and or directional moving deer through a given area, and why? They're more beneficial than what, comparing it to what? Uh, just he's he's kind of asking, you know, what do you think is the most beneficial? What what does the hinge cut provide most of? Okay, Food, so bedding, directional yeah, moving. 
all of the above. It depends, and I guess this goes back to how your um, the, the height of the trees you're cut, you know, where you uh, how high you're creating your hinges, and also the direction you're leaning the tip of the trees. Um, so hinge cutting does two things immediately. It's giving you horizontal cover, which is obviously immediate. You take the vertical tree, you're tipping it down sideways. You have immediate horizontal cover. Um, the second thing it's doing is it's allowing that sunlight to the ground, which is going to spur all the new growth. So um, I use it in a majority of my bedding locations. I use it a lot for travel corridors to direct movement because um, I'm tipping my trees outward as the as the deer is walking along. The trees are going to be outward and not parallel. So I'm removing that canopy from that location and the sunlight's going to get down. I have side cover for the deer to navigate through and then I have the um, sunlight getting down to create new brows, fresh brows for those deer to prefer to travel along that route. So it, it's used uh, as a tool through almost all the features of habitat. Yeah, I, I would I would like to echo some of that. I mean, like I said earlier, when, when I was hinge cutting more at my knee level, that was more of a blockade. I hinged all the trees in a line like a fence, like imagine a fence, right? Yeah. That was that was to make the deer feel like they can't go through there, or if they were in there, they feel trapped. They don't like it. They avoid that. That was exactly. the goal of that with that low hinge cut in that parallel direction, if you will. Now, what Nick's saying, if you're if you're going in and you're using it for directional movement, you, you would fell or I'm sorry, hinge the trees away from the trail perpendicular, and and you could do some parallel as well, but it's more so so the deer don't feel like they're trapped in there. I want to make this point. If you get and you're and you're hinging the trees perpendicular, be sure to leave you know an exit here and there for the deer to jump left or right. I mean, imagine if they're going down this corridor you cut, and they have a coyote coming the other way. They want to be able to hop left or right. They don't want to feel trapped. So I just want to be clear about any any bedding areas you're making, too, you got to have exit routes. Um, Absolutely, definitely. You, you, you want to make it so there's a lot of cover, and and cover's awesome, but they have to be able to get out of it. And and to Nick's point, the hinge cutting, this cover is instant, guys. I mean... You're, or even felling a tree. You're dropping trees. You're bringing the food and the cover to a deer's level as the saw, you know, is running. Like, it's, it's super instant cover, which is one of my favorite things about it. Um, I just wanted to make that point there quick. And then, you know, if, if you want to just test it out a little bit, you can always start in little sections. Maybe hinge a little barrier on the downwind side of your tree stand, right? So Yeah. You got deer that always are coming downwind of a certain stand. Drop a few trees to where they can't, and now you're forcing them to come upwind. And you know that's kind of just a quick example of uh, how some of that can be used. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't learn all the what I've learned overnight for sure. I've listened to all the other um, experts. I've been doing this for many years longer than I have, and, and then I started messing with stuff and doing my own experiments and seeing what works for me and what don't. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes early on. I went in, I hinge cut trees too low, and I made a mess, what I thought was, we literally called it a brush pile, and the deer did not use it at all. I mean, 
we took an acre of property and turned the deer off of it <laughs> in an instant. Wow. Yeah. It was, you know, that was a, Hell, three years into it, we're like, wow, what can we do to get the deer to use this? So we went in, we cut trails through it. Um, all the hinge cuts were starting to grow great, but we cut trails through it, and now they use it for traveling through. They use it for bedding because they didn't. We took all those dead ends out, and you get down there at the deer's level, and you look and you see a bunch of deadfalls and areas where they they have to jump and dodge dart to be able to get out. It's it's not built right. It's got to be, you know, easy for them to run through. That's a that's a great point. Like, I mean, we're all learning here. We're all getting out there and trying these things and supporting this whole podcast. And, you know, it, it, there's no such thing as screwed up, guys. Like Nick just said, if you hinge cut and deer don't like it, and you know, why? Ask yourself why and then, and then fix it with a chainsaw like Nick just did. I'm glad you told that story. It's a perfect example, man. Yep, it, it happens. I mean, I get... I get a lot of guys asking me, you know, how, how big of an area, how I do this. And the number one thing I tell them is make it so it's, um, you know, the deer can get through it. It's, uh, just don't make it too thick. <laughs> porous, that's the word, porous. Yeah, there you go, I like it. Yep. Now, Nick, one thing that Jared and I learned early on with some of the earlier episodes of the podcast and social media, hinge cutting is a lot more controversial than we originally thought it would be. So just to follow up to that, uh, Al also asked, what does Nick believe is the most common misunderstanding about hinge cutting? That's exactly that. It's contra- controversial because a lot of people don't have success with it because they don't really do it properly. Um, a lot of the hinge cuts that um, fail is because they didn't have enough sunlight. They, you need to, if you cut trees in the middle of your woods and you don't take out enough so that they can get sunlight, they're not going to live. And some of the pictures that I've seen of those um, hinge cuts where they live for the first year, they start healing up, and then all of a sudden they die. Well, yeah, it's because they didn't get enough sunlight to continue growing. So, you know, you got to be conscious of, you know, your location in the, um, where you're at in the country, you know, where the sun rises and sets. You know, if you cut on the um, north side of your your woods and the sun's coming up in the southern uh, part portion of the property, you know, it's not going to get the sun that they, it needs. So you need to cut more trees on the southern side than the north. Um, you know, stuff like that. They, a lot of the a lot of the people with the voice are speaking out against others that have had failures and is because it wasn't done right. But again, it's just a tool. You can't, it's not the the way to do everything. It's not every property requires a hinge cut. Um, it's just a, something to help us, you know, create the cover that we want to enhance our bedding and um, travel corridors and whatnot. Yeah. And what do you say to, uh, to people who think you're just wasting a perfectly good tree that could earn them money down the road. Well, then it gets into, you know, or not everyone is, you know, raising antler inches. You know, not everyone's raising board feet. Right. If you, I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a mix between the two. I've had lots of people that say, well, I don't want to hinge this portion of the property. I want to hinge this because these are, trees that I, I see as valuable, then you don't need to. I mean, right. you can pick out other parts of your property that 
our um, lower value timber or you just you need to make that decision for yourself and a lot of people hire foresters to make that help make them make that decision but for me and my friends and a lot of my acquaintances and stuff you know we're looking to raise deer and antler inches we're not looking to raise board feet so if it's a larger mature oak or walnut that's doing us no good for our goal then we're going to remove it yep I think that was uh, exactly what I would have said. It all depends on your goals. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the guys that are talking down about it, it's, oh, maybe that's not their goal, but maybe it's his neighbor's goal that, you know, he wants to remove those oaks. And it's perfectly fine to come in, have a logger come in and remove the mature um, timber, you know, make a few bucks off it or good money if you got enough of it. Other one, other people don't have enough timber to make it worthwhile for a logger to come in. So it's a different scenario for a lot of different people, and they just have to, like you said, look at their goals. I love it. I love it. I uh, have another question here from J.W. Lewis, my buddy Jason. Um, this wasn't one that we talked about. What species are most valuable, desired to loggers? What characteristics would exclude a preferred species from harvest or devalue it so it's okay to hinge? And what have no timber value? Uh, always candidates for, for hinging. I, I got some information on that. I've, I've been working with a local forester. Um, he was saying, as about right now, you know, oaks are doing well, white oaks are doing well, a black walnut. Um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, black cherry was very valuable. Uh, those are a little bit lower now. In terms of what can devalue a tree, uh, we were talking about, we were walking through my woods pointing out trees with, you know, at extreme angles, or maybe trees that have a ton of branches on them, or maybe splits in the tree that would uh, possibly devalue some trees if you were looking to maybe go for the timber value. Um, those would be, you know, some good candidates to hinge if, um, yeah, because they're not going to be worth much to the logger anyways. Um, but also once you remove some of those devalued trees or trees with splits in them or too many branches, you're exposing sunlight to a lot of the maybe good trees you have left if you are looking for timber value and those may then sprout more branches. So you have to kind of be careful yeah. on that. Um, yeah, I've seen, I've watched numerous videos where guys go, all right, that one has a split in the trunk halfway up. Let's just hinge that one. Or, let, you know, that one, look at the, all the twists and curves and broken trunk and half rod. Let's just cut that one down and fell it. I mean, it, it really depends on your goals was kind of the whole point of the conversation. Um, and then in terms of species that are of no timber value, uh, he mentioned ironwood, box elder, sassafras, and locust species. Those would be of, of no yeah, value to a to a, a lot of, timber a lot of, logger. A lot of your hinge cut cutting trees are the trees that are, don't have value. Yep. So, but they don't have to be depending on what your goals are. If you're like me and you want bigger, older deer and uh, aren't in it for the timber value as your number one goal, then uh, you may cut trees that certain guys who are in it for the timber value would not. Right. Right. All right, I think we're getting through most of the ones on um, Facebook here. We have a, a bunch of them. I think we covered a lot, a lot of questions on that. 
Let's go into Instagram, Brian. I think you had one on Instagram. Yeah, we have a guy from uh, Ontario, Canada. Thanks for listening up there. It's uh, Macabro, it looks like. He's asking, uh, I have 95-acre parcel in Ontario, Canada, and I'm looking to put in a few clear cuts. Do you guys leave all material on the ground or remove? What's your thoughts on leaving clear-cut areas, Nick? Um, I guess it depends on the clear cutting it just for, like, food plots to put in. But I would – all the, I mean, all them tops and everything are going to give you the side cover. So as long as they're being put into a location that's going to benefit your overall plan, um, just leave it. There's not really any reason to remove the tops and all that. You just want to make sure that when they clear cut that, that, you know, it's – going to be um, open enough or porous enough for them deer to be able to get through there. And usually as long as all the trees aren't laying on top of each other, um, it should be porous enough for the deer to get through. Yeah, I think um, if I understand the context of that question correctly, if he's looking to put in food pots or something, you're going to need to clear some of the material off the ground to get to the soil. But I would leave as many tops as you can throughout the woods. I've seen deer bed in the middle of them, alongside of them. It's it's covered. Actually, I mean, when I bought my property, it was already select cut, uh, which is half of the reason I'm having trouble getting somebody out there to finish the job. Um, and they said, okay, well, we'll write into the contract that you want all the tops removed, too. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't touch those tops. <laughs> it, you know, apparently there was some neighbor who was in there cutting firewood off all the tops uh, with the original owner, and I actually I felt bad for the firewood guy, but I said, you know what, let's just leave the rest of those, and and uh, you know those are my cover back there right now. So I would yeah, leave a lot it, of that material on the ground if you can. Yep, it gives you all that immediate cover, just like hinge cutting, um, and then all the new growth is going to come up. All the the stuff that's going to be dead, you know, helps give it some time to grow. All right, we have another one from Instagram here. Hunter Getza, need to hear some big woods hinge cutting advice. I'm up in Alcona County, have 165 acres, and it's pretty much a brick of timber. Just want to know where to start. Everything I hear or read is mostly ag settings. Want to know how to do it in the big woods. Yep, so we have, uh, my parents have a 40-acre parcel up in Glenny, which is in Alcona County. Nice. Um, yeah, well, we're talking to the perfect guy for this. Yeah, I would love to work on it more, but it's a, over a three-hour drive for me. So um, we're actually just going to be getting that logged here. Um, well, you should be starting any time now. It was supposed to be starting last year, but it didn't. But it had been selective cut 25 years ago. And all the trees that all it's mainly all red oak with a couple maple, but all those trees have crowned out, and they're now starting to suppress all the um, the maple growth and anything else growing underneath so we're going to have them come in and remove a lot of those trees but um the number one thing with that big woods timber is um having a plan in place you know it, that's where uh, a lot of guys i think um become hesitant and they just don't know what to do well you can take an aerial view of your property and based on the terrain features whether it's hills and elevation changes that you know are there and just kind of map out the places where the deer already are and um, add stand locations into those. 
And then, you know, if you, the big timber, if you've got a lot of it, you're probably going to want to look at having a, a logger or have it, um, the timber value assessed and have a lot of those pulled out. Because without that, you know, you're going to be really restricted and limited to what you can do for hinge cuts because you're just not going to have the um, the trees to hinge cut, nor will they survive with the canopy cover. So definitely uh, look at getting it if it's possible. If you want to raise deer, you know, look at having it timbered, pull the large um, canopy trees out, and then start looking at where you're going to put your bedding locations, food plots, travel corridors that connect them. Um, access trails are key. You need to know how you're going to access your stand locations without being seen. Um, kind of just start from there. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, like you said, none of the hinge cuts are going to survive if there's a, a canopy of mature trees above them. So. And it's kind of the boat I'm in before I start messing with my back eight acres. I want to get the canopy out of there, hence the logging, um, before you do all that. Because you've got loggers coming afterwards, they're going to just, you know, destroy oh, yeah. all the work you've done, most yeah, likely. You could, yeah, logging is, or the timber is number one. I mean, if to, to if you have all mature timber, and you can look and see 150, 200 yards through there, and you want to be able to shoot mature deer and shoot deer consistently, you have to give remove them trees so that cover can start to grow. It, it, it just it won't happen consistently if you don't. Right. Yeah, I like where you went with that. And then you could then have your plan in place, make a few bedding pockets, connect it with some travel quarters, some food plots, etc. Um, what I would also recommend is in that big brick of timber, I would do things you know sporadically. I wouldn't just do – and it's kind of with, with any property and any practice – you know, do nothing in a in a monoculture or a, a single type practice. You know, don't do all hinge cuts. Don't do all clear cut. You know, do pockets of the bedding. You know, don't make it one big bedding area. Deer yeah. need diversity. They don't want to go from an open deer desert to, you know, the thickest thing in the world. They want edge. They want diversity. They want, you know, food in between all that and, um. So, you know, it's, it's just part of that plan, like you mentioned up front. So, Yep. If it's, I mean, I, for example, if it's a, a square parcel or a rectangular parcel, um, it, again, depends kind of what your neighboring parcels are at. But usually you'd um, want to try to hunt from the outside in. So you'd remove a majority of the trees and, and large pocket locations inside the parcel. So you're going to have good bedding content inside of there. You'll remove other pockets along towards your outside edge. Um, your travel corridors are going to kind of go along the towards the outside parcel borders. Um, and then those travel corridors is where you're going to have your stand locations to, you know, pick off the deer as they travel from bedding to food or food to bedding, one or the other, and as they navigate through the parcel. But anytime you you remove a few trees, you're going to see substantial growth right away in the first year. And all of a sudden, you're going to start seeing rubs pop up along those. They're going to treat them just like a hard edge. And the deer will be focused on those small areas. They'll probably bed in them naturally because now they have all the higher stem count. And it's just like a magnet to them, just like a clear cut on any forest or state land that you see the first few years are usually really good. 
Oh, yeah, you got to hunt those bad boys for sure. Yeah, definitely. We got a uh, last-minute question on Facebook here from Ryan Mead. He wants to know if there's something that's changed over the years, for all the years you've been doing this, that uh, might have altered your views on anything as far as hinge cutting goes. Um, I know one thing that I've, I've started looking at is a property as a whole. I re- originally, when I first started hinge cutting, I was looking at that too much of like a micro level. I was only focused on one small little portion of the, the property, like where I was working on the hinge cuts, where now when I go and I do hinge cuts, I look at how hinge cutting in this specific area and the type of hinge cutting I'm doing is going to change the deer movement beyond that. You know, where are their deer going to come from? What are they going to do when they get to this hinge cut location, whether it's a, a bedding area or I block travel for so they can't get to a neighboring parcel? Um, the, the hinge cut that you do, is ultimately, it should have an impact on your property as a whole as to where the deer are going to go and how they're going to behave. So I, I would say over all the years of doing this, I, I'm definitely looking at it at a much larger level rather than looking at it at a small little tiny piece of the property when I'm working on it. See, that should it they should complement your property as a whole. Yeah, that's that's interesting because a lot of the times with property the size of yours and mine and, and Brian's, I mean, you almost need to do everything on a micro level. You know what I mean? You're you're focusing on on an exact trail an exact bed, an exact little quarter acre pocket where maybe in a 10 acre woods you wouldn't. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So like on my small 10 acres when when like I did a, um, a small hinge cutting portion up front, my focus was, okay, I'm, I'm hinge cutting this, I'm making this thicker for bedding, but where, where do I want the deer to travel from? You know, where do I want the ends or the little, the um, the trails coming in and out of this hinge cut area to lead to focus towards and what do I want them to point to or point the deer. So, and being that I have circular movement, that dictated where my, how my hinge cuts were placed at that location um, when I was doing that. Yep. Now that makes sense. I know, um, yeah, I just encourage people to get out there and, and try it and be safe. And, uh, and you know, it, it's nothing you can't fix. So, I know we were down at Hunt and Brian's in Ohio this past weekend, and we walked kind of through the property after the last hunt just to take a look at some of his hinge cutting and, and his clearings he made. And, Brian, you really got some some undergrowth coming up on there, man. Holy cow. I mean, how long ago did you make those hinge cuts? Oh, I've been staggering them for the last uh, four or five years, I guess. Some okay. Some five years old all the way up to this past spring. Yeah, some of that stuff, it's exactly what I'm trying to do. So it was very cool to see that, you know, walk your farm yeah. and check that out. And I've even got a spot, I don't think I showed you, you might have saw it behind that one ladder stand on the west road where I dropped a bunch, probably maybe an eighth of an acre. and. Uh, I got to go back in and drop some more along the south edge because it's been that way for two or three years now, and I've had zero growth. So it's just like Nick said: sometimes you go in there and 
think you got enough out, but, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. Just you didn't take enough out on the southern edge. So that's yep. what I got to do this year. Perfect. Well, Nick, anything else uh, on your end? Um, nope. I'm sure I could think of stuff to talk to for days. <laughs> well, we thought this was going to go a lot longer based on all the questions and uh, Facebook activity today and, and yeah. Instagram, but we've been yeah. rapid firing through these nice and quick. Nice job. Yeah, I know. There, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different scenarios and details that yeah. you can get into. And, you know, just over the years, everything isn't, you know, like, I can go into a, a place that I want to hinge cut, whether it's create a bed or um, I want to screen edge or something, and I'll start doing it, and it just turns into so much more. Something the way the trees are falling don't aren't favoring what I had imagined, so I have to change on the fly of you know different things, you know. And then I might see something that oh man, that looks pretty good. I want to, I'm gonna route them this way or I'm going to do this or I'm going to add this feature in here and it's it, it's just I wouldn't say it's art or anything but it's it's just stuff that you just kind of think of as you go and sometimes it turns out works out great and other times you know the, the deer don't do what you want them to do so you're back at it again after the season trying to manipulate it and you know get them to uh, you know follow your plan and so it's, it's again, it's not an exact science, and it takes some trial and error. But after practicing it for a while and being conscious of how the deer move through your property and watching them, and not being so caught up in the hunt itself, um, you learn a lot, you know, from their behavior and what kind of what to do next. Very nice. I like that. I think um, I have uh, a couple things I learned from from last year when I was trying it. I know that it takes me a lot longer than I anticipated to uh, to drop these trees and keep them intact. Uh, maybe I'm being too careful, but um, I ended up, you know, take, it takes more time than I thought to get just a little section done. So there's, there's yep. that. Yep. Definitely. I, I would say a comment to that is I used to do the same thing as I was, I mean, it would take so long to do these small areas. And then... I started focusing more on um, not so much the hinge cut itself. The hinge cuts are great, but opening up that canopy. If you lose a few that break off or fall off because you can't get them to fall right, so be it. It's no big deal. Just cut it off lower, let the stump regenerate. But focus on getting that sunlight to the ground to um, give you what you need. And once I started doing that, I was able to move a lot faster in um, creating those enhancements. Good point. I'm going to remember that one this year. Um, good point. And I think my other thing was, um, you know, wear your safety equipment and, and keep your chains sharp. I know uh, a helmet, safety glasses, and chaps are always always a must. And then uh, you know, don't let your neighbor borrow your chainsaw to go cut out a stump uh, in the <laughs> fall and then take your chainsaw out in the spring and go hinge cutting because uh, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll stuck with the safety equipment and I, the uh, the helmet, especially. I had a, a buddy that took one to the side of the head. Um, a tree popped back and got him, you know, just unexpectedly and ripped his earmuffs off. But you know, he just had a little scrape and a bruise. It could have been much worse without the helmet. Wow! So, Is it a barber chair or what? 
Oh, nice. It was, uh, it was a tree that we had already hinged, and we were cutting another tree that was laying on top of it, and there was some stress in the wood that we didn't realize was there, and it popped loose and fell down to the, the trunk portion and raked across his head. Wow. Yeah, uh, it wasn't big. I mean, it was probably only like an eight-inch diameter tree, but, you know, <laughs> that wood's hard. <laughs> oh, I hear you. All right, Brian, anything else on your end before we wrap this up? No, I just want to thank Nick for coming on. Great information. Uh, it's nice to get the listeners involved with the questions, and thank everybody out there for participating. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to say it's something, you know, a little different. Yeah, you're too busy making hooks recently, so that's a good thing, man. Yeah. I, uh, I am. It's it's the busy season, and, you know, it's, I work a full-time normal job, so – you know, coming home after work and you know, on the weekends, trying to make sure keep up with the orders and run my errands for materials and keep things flowing. It's it's a challenge sometimes, but I enjoy it. Very nice. Well, I have one more question before we wrap this up. I've been asking everybody uh, lately about their favorite tree. Not necessarily to plant, to hunt out of, to hinge cut. It could be anything, uh, any one of those. But maybe for you it might be hinge cutting. Um, hinge cutting and maybe hunting out of. What are your favorite two trees to hinge cut and or hunting out of? Um, the hinge cut, I'm gonna have to say these cottonwoods that I've been hinging, just because they hinge excellent, they grow fast, and they give great cover. Um, the only, I guess, the one of the only downfalls is the deer don't eat on feed on them too heavily. Um, as far as a hunting stand tree. I love bigger oak trees that are multi-trunked or maple trees that are multi-trunked. Anytime I'm walking in the woods, I'm looking for a stand location. I am always looking for a multi-trunked tree, usually an oak or maple, that I can get up in because they provide so much cover. And I can always screw in my little bow hanger off that opposite trunk, (laughs) and it's it's perfect for my bow every time. (laughs) I will take a, a, a... a tree that's straight up and down, I will pass that tree in favor of something that's in a less, a little less better location for that second trunk or third trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think, uh, I think on on my property, I have uh, one stand that's on a single trunk tree and it's in a pine. That's why, you know. Otherwise, the rest are definitely in uh, multi-trunk maple trees. So, I I yeah. feel you, brother. I feel you. I did get a um, a saddle this year. I, oh. I got it late in November. I haven't got a chance to try it out too much yet, but uh, I'm looking really forward to trying that here this year. I mean, it looks like it, it, I've sat in it, and it's so comfortable. You can um, adjust the straps so you can recline it back almost flat. You can sit up straight. You can pivot around the tree. It's awesome. Which one did you <laughs> end up getting? Oh, gosh. I need you to ask me that. <laughs> And it's not the regular tree saddle. It's not the mantis. It's um. It's got a. Uh, oh, is, it have, is that one with the backrest in it? Yes. Is it the yes. JX3? Yes. Okay. JX3, yeah. Yep. I have not sat in that, but I I know a couple guys who I've seen on Facebook who have, and that thing looks comfortable. <laughs> yes, it's. I mean, you carry it out on your back. I can. I'm a dual purpose user for turkey hunting because you can. Um, recline back, sit in it, and recline back, and with it was just sitting on the ground the way the straps are. 
Oh yeah. So you don't have to, or you can sit up on the uh, on the anchor it to a tree or tie it to a tree. I just, I mean, it's sweet. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. I'm gonna have to get your opinions on that one after uh, hunting season next year. Brian and I both got into a saddle too, so we love them. Um, there's just, uh, it's like hinge cutting. It's just another tool in your in your toolbox. Brian and I talked about it with our friend Dave this weekend. I think if I have my lone wolf uh, mobile set up with the sticks in the stand, my lone wolf climber, and my uh, tethered mantis saddle, I think I am good to go. I don't think you need anything else after that. You know? <laughs> yep, definitely. So, well, Nick, I uh, yeah. I want to thank you, man, for coming on. I know, um, you know, we appreciate your time and appreciate your uh, your support of the podcast, and we love your product. So. Um, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it, too. Thank you very much for allowing me to come on. Not a problem. We will be in touch. All right, Brian. That was a freaking awesome episode full of rapid-fire information. I, that's a that's an action-packed hour and ten minutes right there, buddy. Yeah, I like knowing that model sometimes, just having the listeners write in and getting to answer some of their questions because they probably get tired of talking, hearing us talk about it everything we want to talk about so it's kind of nice to give back to the listeners yeah yeah i actually had a good time with that um we're probably going to do another listener question one coming up uh, just more of a a basic uh, not more basic but just um more of an open forum not specific to hinge cutting so i think we did that with al last year maybe we'll do that with al again this year i think that'd be a good time what do you think yeah definitely for sure and uh it was nice to have nick come on and uh, kind of do a little follow-up to the hinge cutting 101, like you said before. And uh, we always get a lot of questions about this, you know, between the controversies and the and the people starting out. It's it's nice to have everything all in one episode now that we can sort of point to and say, hey, go back and listen to this one because it was good stuff. Yep, yep, that's that's a great point. And, Nick, I want to thank you again for coming on. Um I learned a few things tonight as well, like I always do, and it was just good talking to you. And, and like Brian said, you know, there's never a a one-size-fits-all, and, you know, just have a plan with your property before you start going in there and dropping trees. If you need help with a plan, you know, just reach out to us. We can help. Um, you know, just we're here to help, and if you have any questions, that's what we're here for. So I hope everybody enjoyed that episode. We're going to have another one coming up soon. Um, I'd like to thank Nick at uh, Nation's Creations and the Habitat Hook for supporting the show. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cult of Packers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, and 5-2 Outdoors. Uh, I know, uh, Brian, you're going to go to the ATA this weekend, so I hope you have a good time there. Maybe you'll run into a few listeners. Listeners, and looking forward to checking out those Lazy Man Blinds that... Uh, uh, five two outdoors carries and be uh, picking out my model and getting my order in. Yeah, I could have used one of those at your property, by the way. Um, me too. Not only were you gracious enough to invite me down, but uh, the fact that there were no ground blinds or uh, box blinds, I had to get wet and uh, cold. And uh, <laughs> I'm totally kidding, man. I had a freaking blast. My tree stand umbrella worked great. And but it, those blinds, I'd I'd like to 
check one of those out too and get one set up. I know um, Dale did get another shipment of them, and uh, so he's pumping those things out, and I want to get one set up on my farm as well. So for sure. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in once again as we become better habitat managers, and uh, we will be back soon with another episode. Take care.